Hello, and welcome out there to the second part in our limited podcast series on planning for a successful customer service strategy in 2020. I'm your host, Michael Kramer, and I'm the head of marketing at AgriSync. For those of you who do not know what AgriSync is, we're a software platform that helps simplify communication for modern agriculture through voice, text, and video. To learn more about AgriSync, visit us at agrisync.com. That's A-G-R-I-S-Y-N-C.com. Or to see a short three-minute video demo, check us out at agrisync.com slash demo. This podcast is presented in conjunction with our friends at Precision Farming Dealer. All right, so today we're going to dive into a topic that seems to be affecting a vast majority of our audience, right? Hiring employees and working in a multi-generational work environment. Honestly, I'm pretty excited about this. This is something that uh, I've experienced through all parts of my career, and uh, we have some experts today that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk to. So, with a record low unemployment and a changing dynamic in the workplace, hiring and maintaining employees is more difficult than ever. Today, we're going to talk with industry recruiting and HR experts at Ag One Source, and we'll explore the different methods of recruiting and hiring employees, while also discussing some of the differences between the generations. With that, I'd like to welcome um, our two guests for today's podcast, Mike Smith, who happens to be a baby boomer, but is also president and CEO of the Ag One Source, and Colin Rupp, a millennial, and also happens to be a recruitment specialist at Ag One Source. Gentlemen, this is great. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to give you a second to introduce yourself. We'll jump over to uh, Mike because Mike, being the, the, the man at the top totem pole, we'll start with you. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, good morning, Michael. It's, uh, uh, it's been fun to uh, be involved in agriculture all of my life. Grew up on a farm and uh, about uh, exactly 17 years ago, we started Ag One Source and started working uh, all across the uh, agricultural uh, regions of the United States and uh, have developed uh, recruiters that now exist in 14 states in the United States. So we're, we're covering a pretty large swath uh, of the region. Uh, Ag One Source really focuses on executive recruitment, mid-management, and uh, we've, we've got a great team, a great uh, group of uh, professionals here that come from you know many different sectors we even like to joke around here we even have people that speak southern here and uh, <laughs> they're they're easily recognized in their cultures and their regions and uh, you know the, the same goes for those that are in our northern territories they are well recognized there but uh, we got a great team and uh, uh, it's it's been uh, been a fun ride for us that's excellent. No, that's great. We're excited to have you here, Mike, uh, given your background and what you do. We're going to jump over real quick to the other end of the spectrum. Colin, uh, why don't you go ahead and take a moment to introduce yourself? Thanks, Michael. I'm Colin Rupp. I'm an ag equipment recruiter here at Ag One Source. Um, I've grown up around this, this industry, the ag industry, and recruiting my entire life. As I joined on uh, several years back with Mike and the team here, and I'm pleased to be on this podcast series with you and, and be able to, to share my experiences in the industry. Well, that's great. And, you know, I, I, I poke fun at the fact that uh, we have a, a, a boomer and a millennial on here because it seems to be a little bit uh, of the bookends of the, the workforce today. And I know that is something that um, we see in every industry. Of course, we're, we're, we're ag focused here today and that's what we're going to keep it focused on. But um, it can be from the medical to the ag to the construction to, to the financial industry. You're seeing um, almost four generations in there. We're going we're to come back to that a little bit later um, because it's, it's such a, 
a topic of conversation that people are saying, man, and there are some significant changes between the generations. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But before we do that, what I want to talk about is the workplace in general. Right now, we're in a, a period where unemployment is low. And I'll say in some parts of the country, um, it's almost dangerously low, too low to, to, to maintain a, a workforce. Um, people are able to move around, so it's hard to keep employees. It's hard to recruit, and it's hard to find. So that's what I want to start with today. Let's just, let's just start from a general, a more of a macro perspective. Mike, maybe you can just talk for a quick second. How are you seeing the unemployment numbers affecting the recruiting process specific to the ag market? There's really several factors that are going on, uh, but the, the first one is just a simple demographics. Let's just talk about numbers. And if you pull up uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, we were looking at this clear back in 2012 and we were seeing this coming at us, uh, but it was a population, a workforce population in the boomer generation that is essentially uh, was twice the size of the uh, the workforce that's coming out of colleges and, and getting ready to enter the workplace. That started back in 2012. And doing the simple math on it, for a period of at least 10 to 15 years, we will have at least two people eligible for retirement for every one that comes in the workforce here for wow. a while. Wow. That's one factor. Uh, the other factor is uh, is also kind of quite interesting. Even back in in uh, when we were studying this in 2012, we were just coming out of that last recession. And if you remember the last recession, 07, 08, 09, yep. we had about 8% national unemployment. But the uh, the BLS site uh, provided some very interesting statistics and they had some maps on county by county uh, what the unemployment was and the rural areas of, uh, of America really did not have anywhere near the national average. Most of the unemployment was metropolitan. Uh, it was um, located in, in, in cities and, uh, and that's not where agriculture generally right. gets a lot of its workforces, right? right. So that was, that was another element. And, and, and the other element that I think most people haven't really even looked at, uh, unemployment for more highly educated, basically college degrees or above, mm -hmm. sure. th that group was really never affected in the recession. It, you know, most of that group stayed pretty much fully employed. And, and a national average unemployment just doesn't uh, account for the fact that the more highly educated uh, we're more fully employed as well. So wow. today, yeah. with a three percent unemployment, we really only have somewhere in that one to one and a half, maybe at the maximum, two percent unemployment in highly educated. And that's where a lot of agriculture is wanting to hire, and that's sure. where we, as as a recruiting firm, uh, that's the space we're playing in. Most of the people we're trying to place are well educated as well. Those are some fascinating numbers. At the time, I was living in a large city out in, just in Chicago, so um, I, I, didn't, I did feel that bubble of unemployment, right, kind of pushing around and where, where I was. But uh, the way you just laid it out, I mean, 
rural versus metropolitan are, are two different things. And when we're talking agriculture, of course, we're going to be talking rural. So, I mean, if I'm hearing you, you're saying that this is not an entirely new concept, especially in the ag space, but it's probably exacerbated now the fact that just things continue to grow. That was a fascinating statistic. Two people eligible for retirement for every one person able to fulfill their or backfill their position. Did I hear that correctly? That's correct. And that continues through today. And, and, and I've got one extra uh, yeah. theory that has uh, entered into this too, that even makes it more difficult for our agricultural uh, customers to fulfill their people needs. Uh, if we remember, most of us remember back into the, uh, the late eighties, mid to late eighties, agriculture was not, having a great economic time. Mm -hmm. And um, my theory is that particularly those that were coming off the farm and wanted to come back to the farm, that their parents and grandparents kind of suggested to them, hey, you really need to go off to college, go get a good degree. Let's see how things are in about four years and maybe you can come back to the farm then. Well, yeah, they went off and they got their degree and it's all great, but most of them left agriculture at that point in time. Sure. If you do the math to forward, fast forward to today, that age group that was coming out of college in those days is about mid-career, you know, in their 40s or thereabouts. And we're finding another phenomenon that most of those would be kind of in a management position right now. And we're finding a very short supply of uh, management-eligible type candidates to fulfill some of these more senior roles that our boomers are now retiring from. And that's causing even more stress on our companies to, to be able to find enough people just to, just to fill the retirement openings. Yeah, that, 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 that's fascinating. Um, I, I do have to call you out on one second. You said most of us remember Colin, you won't remember that from the eighties. I mean, that's the, you're the exception to Mike's rule. <laughs> I am. The I am Mike's the exception. Um, right. I, uh, I'm going to shift it over to Colin real quick because, you know, Mike, Mike's br br brought out a lot of great points. I mean, things that I hadn't necessarily thought about is just really putting it into perspective. A lot of the things that we know happen on a macro level, but you don't maybe get that perspective until looking back. You're on, you're probably very, I know you're very heavily into the recruitment side. Can you talk a little bit about what, how that's affecting, like when companies come to you or when you're reaching out, trying to find, um, talk about some of the things, relate some of the things that Mike said to, how that's affecting your ability to go out and find, to recruit, to fulfill those roles that are open. Absolutely. I think it's, it's very tough with, with the shortage that we're up against of top talent in the industry. You have to look at a lot of the things that, that Mike just brought into, into view. The number one thing that comes to my mind when I listen to this and I look back at all of my conversations with, with clients and candidates, the thing is, we're in a time of, of short supply, but we're also in a time of natural attrition um, within companies. So there's, there's people leaving the industry that in other times would have probably already been retired or have already exited. But because of the short supply that we're up against, they're staying in the industry longer than normal. And you see that in several different generations. I know you mentioned four generations that are in our workforce today which is really interesting. And they're all, all different in nature, but the baby boomers, there's a big gap because they're the ones exiting and the millennials 
are the ones coming into the industry, the college graduates. Mike mentioned, and, and I think you, you mentioned this too, back in the 80s, Mike had said that a lot of people decided during that tough time, you should go to college. Mm-hmm. Go get a four-year degree. Come back and see what this looks like yep. uh, once, you get a, once you get a degree. Well, the traditionalists and the baby boomers, many of those were oriented to let's hit the workforce as soon as possible. Let's get in, get it done. Education wasn't necessarily at the forefront. After the baby boomers, the Gen Xers were the ones that went to college. Now we're transitioning into the millennials and they're all about education. And so they're staying in school even longer. (laughs) It's no longer just a four year degree. It's a, it's a six year master's or a doctorate program. And when they're staying in those programs, a lot of those are very strenuous programs and not allowing for a lot of in-depth work experience. Yeah. So it's further eliminating more people from entering the workforce. So we're getting this big gap in the middle of people that exited the industry when times were tough and haven't necessarily come back to mid-management and not enough filling millennials that are still staying in the education realm and not hitting the workforce yet. So I really think the, the key moving forward with the unemployment rate is it's shifting our focus to where that talent's at. Sure. We understand it's, it's easy to dwell on the numbers that there's very low unemployment. There's not a lot of people out there looking for jobs, but there's a ton of opportunity. So yeah. how do we fill the opportunity with people that are accessible in the industry? And the key is, and what we focus on as recruiters is, is networking, building relationships with top talent. Most of that top talent, like Mike said, they weren't hit with unemployment. Mm-hmm. Those are the folks that are still employed. Most of them pretty happy where they're at. And so we've been working with a lot of our clients on helping shift that focus. I know it's very hard to find the talent, but let's look in other places for the talent, not for the talent seeking us. So I mean, this is, this is fantastic and some great perspectives. Um, Calm is going to start off asking you this and Mike, please jump in afterwards. But so you talked about a, a couple different things, you know, um, there's no, there's no question that millennials value um, or focused on education, probably more so than any other generation generation before. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not here to say anything other than that. But that comes with a whole set of baggage, right? College isn't getting any less expensive. And if they're going longer, um, they pay more, they owe more. So talk about that for a second, because there, there's a couple different factors that, you know, we, we're, talk, we're looking at. Many of these types of positions, they're not in your New York, LA, Chicago, Houston, you know, they might be, I'm just saying they're not around major metropolitan. So we're looking at more rural communities. We're out of the Des Moines, Iowa area. Someone living in Chicago, Des Moines pretty rural, right? <laughs> it's, it's really not, but you guys can, you guys can appreciate that to some degree where you are as well. What I'm saying though is you have people with large debt wanting to eliminate that debt, i.e. they want to get paid more so they can do that, but where some of these positions are out in more rural areas. Okay, there you have it. Rural areas don't tend to pay as much as uh, uh, urban areas, and then there's, there's a lot that goes with that. Talk to me, how, do you, how are you trying to draw that talent there? How, are, how can we convince them? Do, are we having to 
are we having to pull them from the, the metropolitan to the rural? Uh, are people looking in these jobs tend to be more rural based? You know what I'm asking? Like, how do we get them from to come to more of the rural smaller, pay them enough, i.e. make it attractive enough for them to want to leave where they're doing or come from the college out into the field, uh, more rural area? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, and it's a really long question question too. So I I, I applaud you for following (laughs) me. It's, it's a conversation topic that we've had many, many times. It's, it's constantly ongoing with our clients and our candidates. And I think it all goes back to the education piece. Mm -hmm. Um, we talk about that. We, the millennial generation, is very focused on education, but I, I truly believe being in the millennial generation growing up in this industry, um, and around it, I believe that the education system, while it is great and it opens the doors to many opportunities, I do think it has in a way failed a lot of the generations. Mm. Um, and the reason I say that is because I know I came from a small high school sure. and the trades were a big, are a big part of society. Technicians, plumbers, HVAC, all of these auto mechanics, mm-hmm. anything like that. They're a vital part of society, but they're not glamorous. They're yeah. not a lovely profession that everybody wants to have. And so when you look at high schools, Votech programs are shutting down. Wow. Shops are closing. The kids don't even get to experience that anymore. Sure. And so I think if we're going to combat this and be able to bring more kids into the ag industry, it comes with an idea. We have to shift our focus to educating them in a different way leaving the door open to them to let them know that maybe a four-year degree isn't necessarily the right fit for you. Maybe a graduate program is not the right fit for you. We're kind of force-fed in society that you have to have a four-year degree to get a job today. You have to have a master's degree. It's come become the norm to get that. Well, there's a lot of great professions out there that need a trade degree, uh, a two-year Votech degree. And you can make six figures doing that yeah. as a technician at right. a dealership. Sure. We see it every day, but no, I, I can't say no one, but a lot of people don't understand the opportunity that's out there because our education system isn't telling them about it. And it's, it's telling them that the only way they can be successful in society is if you go and become a lawyer, mm-hmm. become a doctor, become a nurse. Those are all great professions, but the education system's telling them that that's the only way and closing the door on many other opportunities that, that our ag industry needs and requires to be successful. So Mike, I'm going to turn to you real quick, offer some perspective given your experience and what you've been able to see over the, the, the last few years and take what, take what uh, Colin has said there. You're an ag dealership, maybe in a rural community or, you know, there's not just in a one, but I mean, you're looking at a broader, what are some, what are some ways that ag dealerships or ag based companies or organizations have combated or worked with the system as it is to be able to, to combat what, what some of the things Colin has talked about? 
Well, I think uh, what was going through my mind when, when Colin was talking about that, it, I, I haven't actually had that conversation with Colin about the education system, but I, I fully get his perspective there, mm-hmm. too. Um, I think from where my mind was going was what are our, our agriculturally based companies doing to attract people in a rural environment? And it's and it's a lot about the what we call the non compensation factors. It's the the culture of the company, and it is the uh, how how open and uh, welcoming and more like a family uh, does the company make themselves to the employees. Um, it, it's it's little things. Uh, it may not be important to some, but. For example, we live in a pretty small community here. I have a one-minute commute to my office. I think <laughs> Colin does too. I, you know, you go to the city, and if you if you have less than a thirty-minute commute, you're oh. celebrating, right? So yeah, absolutely. So it's the little things that we can start comparing, and I I think once people get to a rural way of life, there it, it does become the way of life, and I think companies can do a lot of things to help their employees see this and and and, and obviously um as we started into the x uh or pardon me the um um the generation after the boomers here i guess it was the x generation as we started into the x generation we started hearing terms like work-life balance right and um uh, as i see the millennial generation it's um it's about technology right to put things fully into perspective uh, from a boomer generation, and I really date myself when I when I say this, I remember as a kid when Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon, and we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have computers, we didn't even have the calculator yet. I remember in high school, we got our first Texas Instruments uh, calculator, and that was a monumental computerized device. Uh, Up to that point, we had learned to do math on a slide reel. So uh, things things were just uh, from a communication standpoint in particular, very, very different Mm -hmm. for the boomers when they were joining, uh, when they were growing up. And, And I think Today, we have an opportunity for communications going into the rural area. Uh, there, there's, there's a great way of life and in some of these more smaller or medium-sized communities. And uh, that's what we have to try to help the candidates that we're talking to and trying to place with some of these companies. We're, we're trying to help them see that. And we're trying to help our companies understand how do you put your value message out there for your, for your people you're trying to hire. I mean, excellent points, all of those. Uh, interestingly enough, I know uh, my wife and I are both from, uh, well, compared to the to the larger part of the United States rural areas, right? We're, we're, I'm from Southeast Iowa and she's from Eastern Iowa. And we went to Iowa State, which is an ag-based school. And then we, we moved to Illinois and we spent about a decade in Chicago. And you, you mentioned when you said a, under a half an hour commute, like my heart nearly stopped and I was just like, oh, that's at two o'clock in the morning when no one's on the road and I hit every green light, right? I mean, that, that's perfect. But you're right, we ended up bypassing that and taking an opportunity um, back home because uh, back home in Iowa, which is a smaller, more rural type area, those are the things that you're right, I think people, they don't know they can value, right, Um, uh, until a certain point. And I think that 
to some degrees, it's now the companies now have to take a different focus. They have to take a different approach. It's not just here's the job description and here's your pay, right? I, I think that that, <clears throat> that is, this is me saying, I'd, I'd love to get your guys' comments on this. That's just not enough. Um, as a matter of fact, I've actually heard that while pay is certainly important, it's not everything. Mike, you mentioned some of the other things. Um, I think if you, if you get into your, your master's classes, they call those like the hygiene factors at a company, right? Those are the, 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 the small free things that they might give you, whether it's a free lunch on Friday or maybe you, um, you do some, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I think with one of the, some of the younger generations, they, they continue to do amaze me and do better on is the, the social aspect of it, uh, societal, excuse me, not just the going out for a happy hour, I mean. I mean the idea of, hey, our company, our division is going to work with a certain charity to, to further a, a cause in society. And I think some of those uh, make a tr for attractive ways um, to attract people, uh, the new generation. Colin, let me jump to you real quick and say, what are, and I got it to, to our listening audience. I, I told these guys ahead of time that because one's a millennial and one's a boomer, they have to speak on behalf of all millennials and all boomers. So what they say is gospel, guys. This is not opinion. This is fact. So, okay, by Colin, um, speaking on behalf of the millennials or just even from an observational point of view, what are some of the things that you see um, your friends, the people that you're helping recruit, what are they being attracted to outside of salary and the job description, kind of along with what Mike was saying? So, in conversation with, with other millennials, um, just some, some interesting statistics. By 2030, over half of the workforce will be millennials. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And so when you look at the millennial generation, every generation is defined by different characteristics. Sure. We like to speak in generalities, and sometimes that can be very bad. I know <laughs> the millennial generation has kind of got a bad rap um, for uh, making a lot of moves, being a job hopper. There's a lot of clickbait that's out there about the millennial generation, but I think the key is, like Mike said, these companies that we're working with in the ag industry, they've got to think outside the box. They've got to, got to look at different avenues to attract talent because there's, there's a scarcity. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, you got to understand the generations that you're trying to attract. What's important to them? What's of value to them? And if I know in, at Ag One Source, we've done surveys and, and pooled data and realize that in reality, companies and candidates alike, compensation is, is at the top, but it's not number one. It's like three, four, five down on the list of importance of how someone would select a, a position. And so if compensation and benefits aren't as important today, it goes back to that work-life balance that Mike spoke about. What does that mean to someone and how much value would that add to your life? How much importance, how much more family time would you have minimizing your commute from an hour to, to 30 minutes to 15 minutes to one minute from work? Um, having the flexibility. Millennials like flexibility. Mm, yep. They like to have a casual work environment. That's something that the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, they don't, they don't necessarily understand. They think for a lot of their life, you go to work, that's a professional environment. We, we show up to work 
looking professional. Well, we've shifted kind of that focus into a more casual work environment to be more inviting for those millennials to have that flexibility. I know some companies we talk with have maybe a casual Friday where instead of wearing business casual clothes all week, you have a day where you can wear jeans and a t-shirt and, or a polo and, and just relax, veg out, have, it creates a, a good atmosphere. Yeah. Um, like there's the a lot out. of, <laughs> and the veg out, yeah, still get things, still get things done. Um, but feel comfortable doing so open door policies, um, being accessible. Communication is huge for millennials. And that's one of the most misunderstood aspects of our generation is the communication and feedback. So I know I could probably speak to Mike on this one, the baby boomers and Gen Xers, if you were doing a great job and you never heard from your boss, that's awesome. That meant you were doing a great job. No communication. If you never had to talk with your boss, <laughs> right? No communication is awesome. That's not the case with millennials. They want constant feedback. Mm, interesting. Even if it's negative feedback, if, if, if your boss walked into your office and said, you're not cutting it, you need to shape up and get something done. They're like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> Fine. Thank you for the feedback. It can be negative. It can be positive. They sure. just want constant communication. And that's something that is a disconnect between the generations. So not understanding the millennial generation allows for those gaps. Yeah to be exacerbated because Mike as a hiring manager, he would think, well, if I don't, if they're not doing anything wrong, I shouldn't have to tell them. Well, that millennial may be sitting there thinking, Oh my gosh, he's not talking to me. I must be doing terrible. I must not be doing my job right. Okay. So there's a disconnect there. So all of these little things that you can understand about the millennial generation make the opportunities that much more inviting to them. The atmosphere, the work-life balance, the boss, the company culture. Those are the things we have to focus on and our clients have to focus on to attract good talent. Interesting. Much more than compensation. Interesting. Mike, I, you, I, you got to have something to come back with this on. Well, I, I want to expand on it because yeah, Colin yeah. is 100% right. There's, there's a couple of things here, and, and I, I, we have, I have a cartoon that I've used when I've spoken in front of groups uh, before, and, you know, you can put it up on the screen, but you can just imagine this just real easily. And, and the cartoon is, is uh, a baby boomer talking to a millennial, and the boomer looks at the millennial and says, I don't understand why you don't work as hard as I do. <laughs> and the millennial looks back at the boomer and says, I don't understand why it takes you so long to get your work done. <laughs> and it's just classic. Classic. It, it is. It's great. But at the root of it, at the root of it is how are we measuring performance? Yes. And the boomer grew up with parents and grandparents that they worked from sunup to sundown. Hey, uh, you know, you think back in World War II era and, and those and, and what they went through in the depression back there. I had grandparents that went through the, de the depression. They knew nothing but hard work and they knew they shouldn't stop until they were just tired and or the sun went down and they couldn't work. But that's how they measured one another for how they got their work done, right? And the millennial measures it totally differently. They want to be measured on 
productivity. And, and I think that's the key thing that we have to help our companies understand here is um, the boomer and the, and the millennial measure things different ways. Once you start coming together on that communication, we're on the same page a whole lot more. The other thing that's often said, if you look at why people leave companies, people don't leave companies. They leave their managers. Yeah, sure. And yep. they leave their managers largely because of the lack of this good communication. <clears throat> so I couldn't have said it any better. Um, you know, Colin is a millennial saying, hey, I, I want to know how am I doing and, and so it involves not just statistics and not just metrics, but sit down and talk with them. And that, that, is, that is something that makes uh, most boomers move out of their comfort zone. I'll, sure. I'll easily admit that as a boomer. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I listen, I'm listening to you guys and you talk about this instantaneous feedback. And, I, I, you know, in my mind, I've, I was almost thinking of it in a humorous way, but I think it, look, we live in a world – I'll, I'll go back to what Colin was saying, you know, millennials sometimes get picked on um, unjustly for, I'll say that, right. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm in the cusp between the millennial and um, the, uh, the Gen Xers, um, but it, because they live in a selfie type culture, right? Okay. So what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. selfie? You take it and you put it on social media. Um, and then what do you get? You get a thumbs up, you get a thumbs down, you get a heart, you get a, you know, you get an excellent, whatever. Exactly. Colin, that's your instantaneous feedback. And what I'm constantly it amazed is. by is uh, the, the, the ability for that person to often take that feedback, not even negatively, just in stride. And I think that's a lot of what you're saying is like, hey, give me feedback. Let me know where I'm going. You know, Mike, I'll relate this. My, my father is a boomer and he's um, pushing 70 years old. I've, that guy has not stopped. I mean, he retired a couple of years ago and right. I'm exhausted. He gets up and he works and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, will you slow down? Because I'm just getting tired watching you. Like, it just, I think it's, it's ingrained. And it's not that millennials are, don't have a drive. It's, not, it's a different drive. They take their energy and their focus elsewhere. So this has been a fantastic conversation. I, get, I got to do a little plug real quick because um, that's what my boss tells me I have to do. So I'm going to come right back to this. But I just want to say that, hey, this is a friendly reminder that this podcast is a limited series podcast focused on helping you plan for a successful customer service strategy in 2020. And I am your host from AgriSync, Michael Kramer. To learn more about how AgriSync can help you enable your customer experience, head on over to agrisync.com. Um, we actually have some blogs there. We have something that we're, we're posting called Working with Millennials. It's going to be in our blog section. So that's agrisync.com slash blog. Also, make sure you're checking out Ag One Source website to learn more about their services at www.ag1source.com. So, all right, guys, perfect. Got my plug in. Now let's dive into something a little bit more. We're talking about some of the differences, but let's actually talk about the workplace itself. You know, um, Colin, you've talked about things. I, I know they seem, I'll say, almost trivial to some people. The idea of so you're just saying it would be a better workplace if I could, you could just wear a jeans and a t-shirt. Um, and uh, you, Mike, your cartoon, I don't think there's anything that I've heard thus far that explains the, difference, the differences better, right? I mean, one is about work and one is about productivity. I think at the end of the day, they have the same goal. But that millennial generation, man, they grew up, uh, I can say this, we grew up at least with that TI, Texas Instrument Calculator, in our hands, right? We were told by teachers, you got to learn math because you won't have a, you won't have a, um, 
a, a calculator in your pocket at all times. Well, guess what? We have a calculator in our pocket, a calculator that's more powerful than, than we put someone on the moon back in the 60s that you were talking about, Mike. So it's amazing right. how far we've come. Let's talk about that workplace, though, okay? Because we do. We, we've said boomers and, and millennials, and, I, and I'll just be, I'll say, like, there is the, the, the Generation X in between, right? Mike, you've mentioned it. That's probably your more mid-career, probably your... Uh, early 40s to mid to late 50s. I know there's always an overlap. And so millennials are probably 40 and below and the boomers are 55 and above, somewhere, somewhere around there just to give people a reference. You've got a lot of people working in the workplace, which is not that unique, right? You always had a good spread. But I think that the generational differences maybe are more pronounced now than they ever have been. So Mike, let's start with you. How are companies dealing with this? I mean, are the, you, we talk about, we, we have to make some changes to bring some people in, but those changes don't just affect the new people coming in. They're affecting the people who've been there for 20, 30 years, and all of a sudden, you know, things aren't as stuffy with their tie, their tie and their button. Right. Now they can wear a hoodie and sweats. How is this working? What are some companies doing, and how is that changing dynamic happening? Well, first of all, uh, a more open communications, it's, it's critical. Uh, as Colin mentioned, um, he likes a lot of feedback. Tell me, tell me uh, what, uh, how I'm doing. Sure. But as I understand millennials, they also want to participate. They, they want to be involved in these meetings. Uh, the meetings that happen with just the boomers or just the more senior people and don't bring in some of uh, some of the newer team members to uh, to those meetings, they do feel left out. Yeah. So being included, being uh, allowed to be a part of the conversation, offer their ideas. Millennials are all about technology and how do we leverage technology. And quite frankly, as a boomer, I appreciate that because uh, I love it when somebody can spin out a spreadsheet in five minutes and I might struggle with it for 30 or 30 minutes or an hour. Right. And, and quite frankly, uh, what I can offer to the boomers is just start trusting your people to do sure. the work. And remember one key thing when, when, when we were early in our career as a boomer, we failed at things, right? Things didn't go right. When we put together a project and it didn't turn out right, uh, many of those failed. And, but we learned from those things. We need to allow all of our people in our workplace to strike out on their own projects and work on some things. And we should not expect everything to work right. But when, when a project doesn't go the right direction, stop it before it really costs you something and, and get started on a new one. And, and I think that's the key is, is um, we, we may have more experience in the market, in the, in the workplace and whatever we're doing, uh, but we fail too. And, and that's how we learn and how we learn how to get better. But if you don't attempt and don't try some of the new ideas and new things, you never get to learn how yeah. you're going to do it better. Colin, I'll I like what, over to you. I'd what, like your input on this as well. Yeah, I like what Mike said in, in the fact that I think we keep talking about the baby boomers and, and the millennials, and we're not so much the Gen Xers, but I want to put a plug in with the Gen Xers too in the work environment. They've always been kind of the early adopter. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, the technology side, they kind of grew up 
with the first cell phones. I remember back in the day when my dad got his first bag phone that sat on the floorboard of his truck. Um, I mean, all of those things. So they've been the early adopters. And I think that's going to be key moving forward in making a better workplace is, is adopting those new ideas. Like Mike said, being flexible. It's okay to be outside your comfort zone. Um, I know boomers and Gen Xers, we see it's a big division in the workspace today. And, and maybe due to the fact that the, the millennials are quite different. Um, their needs and expectations are quite different. And we've seen it with a lot of organizations that instead of realizing that the millennials are here and not leaving and they're not going to change, they're choosing to try to, to mold those younger generation, the millennial generation into what they expect. And it doesn't work. We've seen it fail time and time again. And that's part of the reason why a lot of millennials get labeled as a job hopper is because their bosses are very rigid and not accepting of, of them as a millennial and some of their values. And so when you try and box in somebody, they get frustrated because that's pushing them out of their comfort zone and not allowing them to be as successful as they could possibly be in their own skin. So they get frustrated and decide to leave in hopes to find a new boss or a new culture that will accept them and they never find it. And it's kind of a vicious cycle of going through the motions and getting the same result. What the, the famous uh, verbiage of um, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. What is that? Uh, the definition uh, of insanity. insanity. Yeah. <laughs> definition of insanity. Okay. So we've got to shift our focus to understanding the millennial generation and being open to being outside our comfort zone change change is always going to happen so we have to be able to change our workspace and our work environment to be all inclusive don't get rid of everything that you stand for structure is great the baby boomers and the gen xers they live by structure and that's awesome mm -hmm. but there has to be a little bit of flexibility too because the millennial generation needs it to be successful sure. and What's really impressive, um, we talk about the technology and the importance of technology in the millennial generation, and it goes back to communication too. We're so interconnected today, so interconnected yeah. with social media, with texting. Millennials send over 20 texts a day, and that, I think that's probably pretty low um, for text. I was going to say, we don't you mean per hour? <laughs> per hour. Yeah. Right. We were talking about this in a meeting before, um, a couple of days ago, Mike and I, how sitting at your desk at a day, how many times do you touch your cell phone? <laughs> just touch it, just touch it. So we're so interconnected and we have so much accessibility to communication. Why not use that? Use that to bring about flexibility in the workspace. Yep. Be innovative. Sure. Use the tools at our disposal to make a better work environment and to adapt our techniques to make everyone the most efficient and the most. And that's what goes back to Mike's point. Millennials look at Gen Xers and baby boomers and they're like, why do you take so long to do this stuff? Why do you work so hard? There's so much easier ways to do it. Yeah. And we can, we can pool all of our knowledge together in our ways and methods to make a cohesive team. And I think that's the key to success for companies moving forward, bringing about that communication, that work environment sure. of everyone's ideas and inclusive nature where everyone succeeds from everyone's ideas.
Mike, I'd like to turn to you real quick because I, I think Colin brings up some great points, right? And look, the one thing that we've, the word that has probably been said outside of uh, boomer or millennial on this, on this podcast, podcast thus far is probably the word communication. Period. Absolutely. I, yep. I think I think uh, both of you have said uh, very organically in your conversations about reaching out and just so, Mike, um, with your years of experience in an organization, you as an employee, even you've led a lot, you've been an employee a lot, you've you've employed people, you've you've uh, placed people in employment. How can this communication happen? Because while I'd love to think that there's one podcast to rule the world and there's one that we could, we could change everything, right? I mean, some of these things, what are some actionable items to help talk about that, that companies can do? Because, you know, in the beginning, we kind of talked about reaching out and recruiting and finding ways to make your company more attractive to get them there. Uh, Colin, you, you followed up perfectly with what Mike said or earlier with, like you said, they're leaving their managers, because their managers aren't checking in, their managers aren't following, their managers are the managers. You're right, Mike, you said that earlier. People don't leave companies, they, lose, they, leave their, they leave their bosses, their managers. What are some things internally, Mike, what are some actionable tactical steps that I, as a leader of this dealership or the division within, um, can do to help make the Mikes and the Collins of the world, the boomers and the, the, the millennials and, and the generations in between, work a little bit better like do you have meetings do you do you do buddy dates like a big brother big sister sort of thing i don't know i'm just making that <laughs> up but like what are some things that we can that companies can do to help them understand each other a little bit better and bridge that communication gap well you know all of those are good ideas and, and number one is um is, is just simply make yourself available to uh have as I mentioned, I, I have an open door policy. I want people to come in, sit down, chat for a little bit, tell me how your day going. And, and, and I, I feel I need to be accessible to that. Sure. But there's another step that uh, we can take. And it's a very misunderstood aspect of, of a lot of the workplaces. People also have a lot of behavioral differences. And a good example is I'm a very impatient person. I, I want to see things happen. You know, uh, if I make a decision and I'm buying something, I don't want it now, right? I don't want to wait for it. Even waiting for a package to be delivered in a day or two is <laughs> aggravating for a low patience person. Uh, a good example is uh, our, our accountant here is a very high patience person. In other words, um, is is more focused on doing work accurately and quality work and meeting a certain deadline is not necessarily the first priority uh, for that person. So because we are different and that person reports to me, it's important for me to understand her personality style and how it contrasts with mine. If I'm suddenly needing a report uh, and I ask for it, in my mind, I'm expecting it pretty quickly, right? That they drop what they're doing and bring it to me. But that's not the nature of the person that I'm asking to do that report for. So, so a high patience person, um, you know, if, if in, and if you call them into a meeting, uh, they want to know what the agenda is. They want to plan for it. They want to think about it and they want to be prepared coming into that meeting. 
So we use behavioral tools to understand uh, the differences of people in a workplace. They'll still get their work done. They just organize themselves and prioritize things differently. And we use these behavioral tools and we, and we actually put a report together that shows people side by side. Mm, and it shows this is what this person likes. And, and this is what, this is what drives this person batty, you know, just, <laughs> and, and so when you start understanding how you approach people and your, you know, you know, your communication may not be received the same way as you are delivering the communication, you start understanding the differences and you meet in the middle, it, it just changes the whole dynamic of the sure. workplace. And so that's a large part of what we've done at Ag One Source here is is try to make ourselves available to our companies to help particularly new managers that have just perhaps been promoted into those roles learn and understand the people that they're going to be managing that they need to adapt themselves a little bit to the person. Uh, your, your employee is not wrong just because they have a different behavioral style. They just have a different approach to getting work done sure. and they value things uh, in terms of uh, their work delivery and when they deliver it, they just value things differently. So let's help bring that together and, and meet in the middle. Uh, you know, the, the key thing, and we just said that a little bit ago is people don't leave their companies, they leave their manager. And it's largely because they don't come together and understand each other. And, and the manager has failed to meet in the middle. They want everybody to meet on their terms. Yeah. That's where yeah. it goes wrong. Exactly, Gentlemen, we're getting close to the end here. Just uh, in efforts of time, uh, I feel like there's so much more we could unpack. Um, there, there's just a lot of things uh, we 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 covered a lot in uh, you know the, the short amount of time. You you've given a lot of good uh, factual based things using utilizing numbers. I also very much appreciate the the perspective that you've been able to give. Um, given your roles in the industry and what you're trying to do, um, I'm just going to give you one uh, final thought that you can say, um, Colin, I'll, I'll focus, I'll turn to you. Just one quick thought on one thing that ag companies can do really to just take that next step forward, right? What can they do to make that a little bit more open of an environment that is more inclusive and more um, welcoming to millennials and one that is, uh, we'll say millennials and younger generations and one that will help keep them. What is that first step that they can do to help so get them to that spot? The one piece of advice that I would give um, and that I do give on a regular basis is be open to change. Um, we, we always like to resist it, but um, change is inevitable. So be open to it. Be open to unexpected outcomes and be open to being outside your comfort zone. That's when the best things happen for organizations and for you personally. Perfect. Mike? Um, well, my message to, to everyone, but uh, particularly to boomers, is uh, make yourself available. Invite your employees to come in and just sit down and talk. They want to know, and, and you know, most of them are proud to be there. They're following a boss they appreciate, and uh, what all they really want in exchange is they want some of the experience, the knowledge, the wisdom, uh, you know, they also want to know what their future might entail. In other words, 
how can I grow with this company? What kind of other positions could I perhaps learn and work towards? Uh, I'll never forget uh, when I started in a sales, in a, an agronomy sales role uh, at, at uh, Farm Center back in the early part of my career, and I was uh, in my early 20s. And uh, my manager sat me down and he told me exactly why the position had been open that he had just hired me for. It's because the last several agronomy salesmen had all gotten promoted on to be in managers at other locations. And it instantly gave me a vision of what I could strive for and achieve for. And, and I still remember that to this day. And I try to instill that in all of our people. How can you grow? How can you, how can you become something and, and have something to shoot for? We used to say we look to the stars, right? Yeah. So give them those ideas about what they can do and, and be open with your communications. It's, it's, it's very easy to get tied down in, in your daily work and, and not pay attention to your people, but all they really want to do is communicate. So that's not such a up. bad thing at all. Yeah. All right. So I lied. I got, I got, I got some rapid fire questions I'm going to give to you guys. Okay. And you're not allowed to explain yourself. You're just allowed to answer them. Okay. <laughs> some of these might potentially tell the difference between the generations. We'll find out. Okay. Just, they're just four. Don't get too nervous. Colin, we're going to start with you. I'm going to ask you the question. Colin goes, then Mike goes. Okay. First question. Okay. Who's the best NFL uh, quarterback of all time? Colin. Marino. Mike. Lynn Dawson. Oh, man. All right. Colin, Mac or a PC? PC. Mike? PC. Okay. Colin, what is the best decade for music? 90s. Mike? Wow, that's tough. <laughs> Of course, I grew up in the 70s and uh, uh, liked all that music. And, and some of them are still playing. You still see the Eagles out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Hell has frozen over. Yeah, so you're I guess. saying the 70s? <laughs> yeah, 70s for me. Actually, Colin was correct on that one. The 90s are the best. Okay, the, the last question <laughs> is, <laughs> all right, Colin, AM, FM, XM, or streaming music? Streaming. Mike? I started out with. AM, but I like XM. Oh, all right. I'm telling you guys, there's a little bit more crossover there than maybe some people might have figured. So, um, listen, gentlemen, this has been a really fantastic conversation. I really do appreciate your guys' time. Uh, for the listening audience, again, this is um, Colin Rupp and Mike Smith with uh, Ag One Source. They, they can get you um, started. They can um, help you with some of these things. Give them a call. You can find them at www.ag1, that's the number one, source.com, and um, they can help you get going. So I'd like to conclude today's podcast by thanking our guests, Mike Smith and Colin. This has been a fantastic conversation about the changing dynamic of the workplace. I really appreciate both your time and inputs. Honestly, this has addressed quite a few things that I had previously not thought about, so uh, what a great conversation. Um, to learn more about how AgriSync can help you with your customer service strategy, visit us at agrisync.com slash customer service, or you can read our blogs regarding the changing dynamic in the workforce, um, and also we're, we're creating an, uh, an e-guide at agrisync.com slash working with millennials. Also, we'd like to thank our friends at Ag One Source today and also Precision Farming Dealer, who is our partner in crime in presenting this limited series podcast. Precision Farming Dealer is the authoritative source for information on selling, servicing, and supporting precision farming technology 
and the trend shaping the future of the industry. Stay up to date with the latest and most important precision news and information by signing up for your free Precision Farming Dealer online account at www.precisionfarmingdealer.com slash register. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next one.